0: Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoyed listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Thank you for listening today. Today, I have my lovely friend, Suzanne Najarian, here. Suzanne is a sacred sexuality coach. We're going to talk to you today about sacred sexuality and what it is. Thank you, Suzanne,
1: for being here today. I'm thrilled. It's great to be here. <laughs> so,
0: many people I find in midlife are looking for something more when it comes to their sexuality, but they don't really know what more is. And in my experience, often it is they want better sex, either with themselves or their partner, or they're looking for a more sacred or spiritual connection in their sexuality. But that's not something that we've really been taught about we've not really been taught that that can actually exist but I think if I'm being honest I think that for some people you know their body mind is telling them and they're experiencing that yearning and longing for I know there's got to be more to this and I think sometimes into know, lots of different directions. So, Suzanne, how did you get into sacred sexuality work? Tell us a little bit about you.
1: Well, it's exactly as you described. I was in a marriage. I had two fairly young children and the sex in my marriage had died. And honestly, we had always struggled with it. And we had lacked that very vocabulary that you are describing for what even could be more. Mm. And we did actually try and went to Tantra teachers and explored some, but it was never something that really ever got off the ground. Mm. And so at a certain point, as my children started to become school age, I had this deep, honestly, a deep sadness. And I just thought, is this all it's ever going to be. And I assumed with the family and young children that it was like, what choice did I have? And so around that time, teachers on the internet started to appear. And I, I must have been Googling. I must have been searching like so many of us are. And I started to read every book I could find and find every teacher I could find and just study this in depth, in depth, in depth. And honestly, I remember those first experiences with the tools of sacred sexuality, like out on the couch when everyone was asleep late at night, secretly exploring, like what could my own body offer me? Yeah, And just being so excited to find that there was a sense of the connection to more, to greater, to not just like a quick re- sense of relief or a sort of half, half-hearted connection to my partner. Which was what I was experiencing, that was sort of the range of what I could experience at the time, yeah. and all of a sudden I was like, Oh, there's more. I just could not get enough. I couldn't and so i just I studied and studied, and I immediately i already was working with a client base, and i I couldn't wait to bring this to them because I know so many of us have that longing that we don't have words for
0: yeah, 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 I remember. Um, when we were doing our training which we did together Um, and I certainly had that you know wow there's got to be a lot more to this Um, and I kind of knew my body quite well from other practices I was doing but just to sort of learn those tools to bring it all together particularly those tantric tools Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's it's almost you can't believe how miraculous your body is
1: can you that's right it's it's, we're not taught that, you know, we're taught, mostly, I think we're taught to please our partners, Mm.
0: secondarily
1: sort of ourselves. And the fact that there's this vast well of not just pleasure, but power in our bodies, it's just something I, I had no idea the ability to connect to parts of myself, I had no access to, to parts of divinity that I couldn't have imagined sexuality would be the way to and yes, the tantric teachings also for me, very much the jade egg, which mm. is a, a Taoist ancient Taoist tool that is taught. And I think really should be learned with a proper teacher. Um, mm. And we I were agree. lucky to have that, you know, we were really lucky to have that. And to me, it was, that was what really opened the door for me to knowing that I could use my sexuality to feel not just more complete, but even to further Uh, my spiritual path, which was always really important for me. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's a big part of you. It is. It's true. All my life, all my adult life. In fact, even when I was a little girl and I was raised Catholic, the nuns told us we should go to church every Sunday. And I was the kid sneaking out the window because my parents didn't didn't prioritize this the way this little eight-year-old did and would go to church. I always had this seeking, 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 And when I got into my twenties, I found a beautiful uh, indigenous spiritual community that welcomed me. And uh, as my life went on, I practiced, you know, meditation techniques. I always was seeking. And I think that's why I felt such deep disappointment when my sexuality was sort of over here in this box, you know, covered with dust and couldn't touch any of that. I thought there must be because all my life really, truly like almost all my vacations, almost all my studies, they all centered around a connection to something greater, something more spiritual mm. all my life. So how could this, how could this not be a part of that? It, it made sense, but there wasn't a lot of good information. You know, mm. I think there's much more of that. Even five, 10 years ago, I think there was so much less. The world has exploded. In fact, I honestly think there's so much information now. It's important to be really careful.
0: Uh, Discerning,
1: yes. Very discerning, right? Very discerning about who our teachers are, what we're taking in. It can be easy to overcompensate and perform our sexuality just in another way. And all of what Tantra teaches, all of what we study together has to do with the truth, right? Especially at midlife, coming home to the truth of our own bodies. Yes. It's so profound. Even that alone without any spiritual connection just what is my truth what is truly pleasurable to me
0: yes i i think the invitation at midlife for all genders but for women people in will people in female bodies i should say not women in particular because of the menopause uh, transition is the invitation regarding sexuality is to come home to what is pleasurable for you and I guess that changes, right, throughout life.
1: Right. It constantly changes, right? I mean, it changes throughout the month when we have a cycle. It changes with childbearing cycle. It changes with lactation. It changes with menopause. We are so many different women over our lives. Yeah. The young woman I was discovering my sexuality in my teens and the woman I am now, hardly any relationship in some ways.
0: Yeah, I hear you on that one. I feel the same. And I, and I w- sometimes wonder, someone was interviewing me for a podcast last week and um, one thing I said, and I'd be curious as to what your opinion is on this, I said, look, you know, I think it's really hard for a lot of women in midlife because the standard that's held up to everyone's face is a 25-year-old. That's what's valued. And so you can easily, and we live in such an anti-ageist culture, it's ridiculous, you can easily cling to your maiden part." And it's not necessarily about letting them go because we're multidimensional. It's kind of transcend and include. So like keep them in there, but rise above it and have the, you know, your, your queen, your marga, like whatever you want to call this transition, there's a few different names for it, be the one who's making the decisions.
1: Right. To make the decision from a place of having integrated all these different experiences. Yeah. We have a chance to do the pause at midlife is a chance to integrate. Yes. Often we're just zooming through, you know, finding a partner, having children, raising children. There's this pause, there's this natural pause, which can feel terrifying. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Who will I become? It sort of feels like the void is looming. And it feels like the void is looming sexually. We are taught, oh, your sex drive dies. We know, we know, you and I know that's not the truth, but there's this assumption it's going to, it's it's lost. Whereas,
0: yeah, and I think, you know, what you just said, just to reflect back to the people listening, your foundations do get shaky in this transition. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it because there is immense change going on. Identity-wise, you know, I would say every part of you, your sexual self, your playful self, your sensual self, like all those different aspects.
1: Our roles, how we're seen by society, how we see ourselves, yeah. who we, you know, as our children grow up and move into the world, that focus diminishes. Yes. In some ways, right? And so there's this pause, there's this gap. It's very destabilizing.
0: Yeah. You know, so... That, in fact- so- I don't know about your experience, but for me there's been times where obviously I'm working through something that's coming up that needs resolution and it's stuff that, you know, it's probably inner child stuff or little tea trauma stuff. And there's been times where I felt um, like my roots have been cut off a little bit mm-hmm. yeah. as I'm moving through this. And it's just trying to get that sense of groundedness has been not challenging because I feel like we've got lots of different tools to use, but it's very
1: uncomfortable. It's extremely disorienting. Yes. The things that were home base are shifted. The whole landscape has shifted and the landscape of my body has shifted. The landscape of pleasure shifts too. And I thought that meant, you know, that sounds like code for you don't feel anything anymore, but I have found that to be the opposite of true. I can feel so much more but I had to take the time to relearn the whole landscape, the whole landscape of my body. Yes. And it's the Same with our lives, the whole landscape of our lives. Where are the resources? Where are the pitfalls? They're in different places now. Yeah. So, and I think, sorry, just to finish that loop off, I think, I
0: think a lot of women cling to the, the younger stuff, the younger frameworks of our meaning making. And that is potentially what, um, hobbles them a bit in transitioning more smoothly and I was reading a book recently written by a midwife actually who think lives in your part of the world um, who works with women in this midlife transition and she said and I would tend to agree with her. she said this is a real inflection point for a lot of women where they either decide to thrive and pursue you know a pleasure-filled life or they just shut up for business Mm -hmm. in many in every part of their life what do you think about that
1: yeah, I think it's true. And I think it's especially hard to choose that thriving role when there are so few role models. There's so few yes. ideas of what it could look like. If we look to our mothers and grandmothers, they didn't necessarily model that. Some of them did, but not. I know in my lineage, not necessarily. Yes. So there was no one to look to. It was like, oh, what is there to do but shut off? When I think that what's great about voices like yours in the field, like that midwife in the field, places that I play with my clients too, is to show another possibility, another because way, if we don't yeah. see a possibility, I, I know that's what I felt was that hopelessness, like, mm. oh God, what is there?
0: Mm.
1: You know, it, and often there are, um, again, like overcompensations, like trying to hold on, like, let me just hold on to those younger roles or yes. or invent like a, a new face of that younger role, rather than really let myself be reinvented. It's so scary
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to reinvent ourselves. I had a moment, you know, um, after I had chosen, I chose to leave my marriage eventually to really pursue a fully embodied experience of my sexuality. I had a moment where I was without the kids, they were at their dads and I was alone. And I had this moment of realizing like, what what will become of me? Like, will I date? Will I find a relationship? And I glanced in the mirror and I suddenly saw the value that i had to bring mm. that was not it was actually not about m- maintaining my youthfulness it was about the maturity sexually that i brought that i could offer a depth of presence that i could never have done when i was younger and suddenly i thought oh my god i have something to bring to the party i didn't even know <laughs> i didn't even know it was a thing it was yeah. so it was and it was just like a you know a quick moment but i thought oh, all is not lost,
0: like we're told. That's so beautiful. That's beautiful. How do we approach sexuality after a transition?
1: It's a great question because every transition is different, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, And
0: just to tell people who are listening, like Suzanne is a lactation consultant. So she does a lot of work with mothers postpartum. Which right. is an and immense transition. So, so in, in, include everything in what you're about to say. Right.
1: And I have a daughter who will be coming of age herself in a few years. So, looking yeah. at that transition and the transition from motherhood back into sexuality, the, yeah. the partisan, the menopausal, each one I think requires. I think what's really important, honestly, is to find other people like us we can relate to. Yeah. Finding yeah. women we can talk to, that we can be honest with. That's why finding a coach, a guide, a teacher, so important. The mm-hmm. other thing is before we bring it to our partners, learning our bodies ourselves. Yeah. In that yeah. postpartum period where our bodies are so changed, even if you didn't birth your children, but especially if you did, your body is changed. But even mm. the changes of sleep routines and roles will change and having a child in the house will change your relationship to when you feel turned on, when you are energized enough to connect to your partner and the same with that midlife transition. So spending the time in pleasure with your body, even if that's the time, you know, oiling or lotioning your body, when you come out of the shower, doing a little bit of self-massage all the way to self-pleasure. And again, looking at and sharing with, and being with other women, and having that conversation, so you're not in the dark. Yeah. So we're not trying to figure it out. We're both with our own bodies, and then with each other, so that we don't expect, I think the expectation that I'll figure it out with my partner. Yes. Is too much pressure to put on ourselves and our partner. Yes. Eventually, we can bring it to them, but to start here at home in our bodies, because, you know, it's just it's so it's one less person involved in finding out what this experience is. And then having that conversation with our partners if we have a partner and saying, you know, it's a whole new body for me. It's a whole new life for us. It's a whole new world now. Yeah. Our children who've moved out of the house, or you know, and and the same with that maidenhood of have you know, having that conversation with our daughters that says, you are gonna want to explore this. And here's some frameworks for talking to potential partners so they know to start with communication and end with communication Mm. so that the conversations are there and we're not trying to muddle our way through a heated moment, an erotic moment, and expect the communication to just happen. Yeah, It's just not a reasonable expectation.
0: That's not taught at all. And you know, it's hard talking to teenagers because they don't really want to talk to you about
1: it. Like they're
0: Uncomfortable.
1: it's true but frequency that's where frequency really normalizes it little conversations all the time little mentions of it and then it it does start to be more normal I mean we're unusual in that this is something that we're really comfortable with in our field of work but I just insisted on bringing it up frequently enough that my kids now they're just like whatever mom you know yeah same
0: I'm the same and I leave books all over the house and have, have explicitly said to them you can read anything there's no you know there's nothing that's not accessible it's all there for you if you want to
1: so it lets them find it on their own yeah like it's just just... I leave
0: it around but I just you know they're pretty respectful and I just said no you can read anything you're old enough now you know you're middle teenagers you can read anything they're like okay (laughs) okay
1: You, you want to believe that they are reading those books. I know I certainly was. Everything I could find in the library, in my parents, you know, bookshelves, which they're in my grandparents, God rest their souls, had some really interesting books that we would sneak, you know, and it. It's better than learning from, you know, what oftentimes like, right. Children are learning so much. I know I learned from my, from pornography. I found in adults' homes, right? Yes, yes. Pornography yes. was different then too. Yeah, it's much more explicit now. And so that's a conversation I really have. I insist on having, whether their kids feel uncomfortable about it or not, is like what the impact is of pornography. So they know, so they're educated. Yeah. And um, and same with all the other topics around this, around consent. I built in conversations around consent when they were really little, they were playing games. Do both people want to play this game? Because if one person doesn't want to play the game, the game's over. yeah. Yeah. Just, Building it in, building it in, and then all, and re educating ourselves too. Like, what does it mean to really find internal consent? Do I really want to do this?
0: Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm big on that too, and just boundaries in general. In fact, when one of my children was about eight, he told the child next door that he had terrible boundaries. And then when someone says no, they don't respect their no. (laughs) <laughs> and I had to go and tell the, the, the parents, and the, the father laughed and he said, Oh, we might send him over to you to, to learn boundaries because maybe we're not very good at it. And we laughed. Oh, and so, good. just getting back to um, the transition so, a lot of women postpartum, yeah, it's a very uncomfortable time for them often when it comes to sexuality because they don't realize that these changes are impacting on them. Can you talk a little bit more
1: about that? Right. It's not talked about that. I think it's similar to menopause in that, I mean, we know there are changes to sexuality in menopause, but there are actually, because of estrogen levels, similar changes sometimes, especially if you're breastfeeding. Yeah. We don't know that the landscape, even just our internal anatomy, the landscape of the vagina has changed, but it's much deeper than that because who we are as women have changed Mm -hmm. by giving birth or by bringing life or by choosing to be a mother. And so it's a, it's an identity change as well as physiological changes combined with the hormonal changes of postpartum and lactation, which can mean there can be discomfort. There can be a lack of sex drive, but there can be increased sex drive and no one normalizes that. Yeah. And, you know, we have to remember that you know, it's called sexual reproduction, right? For a reason, the entire circle and circuit of reproduction begins right in the sexual act that conceives a child and ends in weaning. Yes, so yes. the hormones are impacted all the way along the way and who we are as a sexual person is impacted all the way along the way. And a lot of times the hormones, as big of an issue as they are, are much less than the identity issues. Of yes, life. I agree. Wait, my priority is keeping this child alive now. So, you know, suddenly places I was accommodating or going along or not in my own truth about my sex life, it's like, I'm no longer as similar again to menopause. I may not, maybe I don't want to accommodate as much.
0: Yeah. You know, I sort of think sometimes with motherhood, we maybe push through a little bit there because we're just getting used to, you know, the enormity of the changes. But I think a lot of women once they get to menopause, they're just like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Right. Like it sort of takes them that period of time to be able to stand in their truth, which is really what is required at midlife is that radical honesty with ourselves. That's right. But it's discomforting after you have a child to feel like this. And, you know, I think people worry about their relationships and, you know, there's that, that other piece that you would know about where, All of a sudden, the family values of your family of origin, which you probably haven't paid much attention to before, become front and centre because you bring them into the relationship when the child comes in and it becomes really obvious. And you kind of, what I, I mean, I remember experiencing this and telling my husband to take a chill pill, but I've seen a lot of uh, young women experience this where they're just like, I don't know, what is he doing? I don't know who he is like he's behaving and, and it's like well that's all his family of origin stuff and you you must talk about it and bring yes. it into the light like bring it don't make it a shadow thing like talk about it and create your own values around what's important to you in your new little family
1: unit otherwise right. it'll just permeate in have you observed that? very much so and in fact often when i when i'm doing lactation visits the grandparents are actually there mm-hmm. and one of the things i'll often do is get the the lactating parent alone and say like this is your baby this is your life this is your family or i'll get the young couple and and you know aside and say remember to create the dynamic you want this is your it's like that couple bubble that we talked yes. about in yes. that bubble as a family and I often just give people explicit permission. This is your baby. This is your family. This is your life. And, you know, it really veers out of the breastfeeding. So much of breastfeeding counseling, right? is just parenting counseling. It's just someone to give you permission to consciously create the family you want. And it's hard to do because the, the momentum of the way we've seen things done. I also specifically talked to my family before the baby came and I said, I love you and I love what you did for me and I'm going to do some things differently. And I hope you'll support me. Mm. So when I'm doing prenatal counseling, I'll often counsel women to have that conversation with, you know, what are our val- with their partner? What are our values? And then with their own family to say, these are our values. I hope you'll respect them before the baby comes. Mm. So to do a little bit of inventory, but what do we want? A little bit of visioning, a little bit of projecting, of course, when the baby comes all bets are off but if we've set an intention together and created that bubble and then said to the world this is what it's going to be like it gives a little bit of protection as we're sorting it out in those tender days yeah yeah and those sleepless days and those confusing days yeah well we're not well
0: resorts really are we
1: no this is not possible to be it's meant to crack us open yeah you know and it does yeah i love that designed to crack us open and i think of that from a tantric perspective as you know if you're giving birth vaginally that first chakra which sits in the cervix opens to yeah. 10 centimeters yeah how yeah. can we experience such a profound physiological change to the seat of our first chakra and not be rewired it's just yeah. not possible i love that so, consciously recreating from the foundation of who we are what is safety what is survival what is life right on up
0: Yeah, that is beautiful. And then we, you know, then, well, some of us, you know, a lot of people have their babies in their mid to late 30s these days. And then so many women find themselves pretty soon perimenopausal and maybe not knowing it, which is a real unwinding. So it's almost like I feel like a lot of women are just recreating them. Sorry, creating their mother identity and then like, boom, they're into perimenopause. Have you observed that?
1: Yeah. And in fact, um, I had my second child when I was 41 and I nursed, extended nursed her right into perimenopause and didn't even really know it. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, it was, I started to have hot flashes well, you know, right around the time she weaned. So, um, and which, you know, breastfeeding is already a lower estrogen period of time. The other thing we, I, which is just a standard, I just love to hold, which is that we have to remember that every cycle, every month longer that we breastfeed, our rates of all the reproductive cancers goes down. Oh. And if you ha- if you have a female child, every month longer you breastfeed, her rates of all the reproductive cancers go down. It's the same for men, but specifically we're looking at breast cancer rates, right? Yeah. So this this not constantly cycling in this estrogen. So many of us are cycling longer into our thirties, but then having a much more extended period of lower estrogen later between pregnancy, lactation, and then perimenopause. So I've seen a lot of that in in my area of the world. We have a lot of older moms. Mm -hmm. I was one of them. And I'm really curious about how that will as breastfeeding and longer breastfeeding is starting to become more accepted again, what will the long-term health outcomes be? Because the health outcomes are so remarkable. Mm. So, and then on top of the health outcomes, right? It is really, I think it can compound, like you're talking about this pressure of meeting our young children's needs. And then all of a sudden it's like, just a wave that catches us from behind. Yeah. flattens us, you know, where have I been? I, I feel like I looked up and my 40s were gone. Yeah. I was like, where have I been? And I just got the chance to start all over.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I was saying to my husband the other day, he was asking about something that happened when my kids were like I don't know, three and five or two and four. And I said to him, yeah, like, you know, I just have periods where I just can't actually remember anything of that time period because I was so exhausted all the That's time. Right. Like, I just have no memory of stuff. Mostly I remember the things about the kids, but ask me about people we met at that time, or
1: I, I can't remember. I know. I, know, I, passed, I have like a great memories at that time. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I can't believe I passed boards at that time. I have no idea how. Yeah. It was like a blur. Yeah. It's a blur. Yeah. And, it's, and we know, right, that that's also hormonally supported. There are really the, the way that hormones support us through those early years support the sleeplessness so that all the social norms of how much sleep we should be getting actually the broken sleep and all that is supported by this focus it's exactly what we described we are focused it's like the tunnel vision the on our children on getting our children to the age where they can sustain themselves yeah it's a beautiful the way our hormones do that but when we do it later it is sort of like we wake up from this days i think probably any time but then all of a sudden we up about it this days in perimenopause
0: yes yes so what would um what would having a regular pleasure practice let's talk about pleasure because you and I so this conversation where are we at with women going into perimenopause possibly exhausted and burned out which is not a good place to start perimenopause really
1: yeah.
0: that's right and and pleasure is nourishing and if what we learned in our training is that uh, from a Taoist perspective, you're only born with a certain amount of chi or kundalini or prana, life force energy, all these different names for it. And we need to nourish and replenish it. And we're not taught in Western society that that's A, a thing, or B, how to do it. That's so nice. what what we learned is about having a regular pleasure practice. So do you want to talk about that a little and how, you know, what you discovered in creation of your own?
1: Absolutely. So if we go back to like Suzanne on the couch late at night, you know, trying to rediscover pleasure in my own body. And I started there and I started to carve out times and places. And I did look specifically, and I'm a big fan of, and I teach my clients the Taoist practices, because they're so simple. Yeah, simple. So, something so simple as taking time, getting out of the shower to do a, a breast massage, mm-hmm. to really connect with our bodies, but a pleasure practice. And it, took, it takes being a little bit cagey and a little bit ruthless and saying like, I'm going to lock the door and tell my family whatever you want to tell them and taking or getting in the bathtub and locking the door. And saying like, I, and it's, it's so easy all over the media to think about self-care and me time, but this is a little bit more intentional than that in that we really start to seek out what gives us that deep sense of relaxation and nourishment, right? To, to start to, and you know, my kids would say, mom, after you take your naps, which is what I said, (laughs) I'm taking a nap, you know? we, we notice you're a lot nicer. <laughs> <laughs> that was really validating because I thought oh, take, I'm away from my family and it can be hard. And certain times of day, it's hard to get away. And even with, you know, the few years we've been home under lockdowns, it's especially hard to excuse yourself, but it took, it took time to really discern what practices maybe took a little more effort for me to set up or to do? Am I gonna set up a JDAG practice? Am I gonna do breast massage? Or am I gonna just simply take time to do what f- intuitively feels good? Because yes. they can be different, whether it's something more structured, maybe takes a little more effort. And one of the things that's so important for women to know, and I think especially women in midlife, is that it's not like I'm gonna feel a lot of turn on and be like, oh, I wanna go self-pleasure, I feel turned on. That may happen. But to really understand responsive desire, yes. that our bodies can turn on over time with attention to pleasure yes. and finding yes. what are those things that actually create arousal, that create erotic energy and make them happen. And then we start to strengthen those neural pathways and it gets easier and easier. Yeah. But if yeah. it starts, if you're starting at a flat line, that's okay. You're not broken, it's not gone. It may be asleep. And it may take some effort to awaken, but it's there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the more the more that you, like anything, like I say to everyone, well, if you want to get better at tennis, you practice, don't you? Right. So it's all about neuroplasticity at the end of the day, and, but also creating a sense of comfort and safety in your nervous system so that it relaxes because you, you don't want your body to be in this fight and flight state, which it's easy to be, cortisol dominant in perimenopause because, well, for a couple of reasons, you're stressed and tired and busy, but your adrenal glands take over the production of estrogen from your ovaries when they slow down. And their job is to produce stress hormones. And so they will always prioritize
1: that, won't they? Right, that's right. And, and if we are nervous about, perform, this is again why by yourself, practicing is so important because if we have performance issues or fear that we won't get turned on, or we won't like what our partner's doing, or we won't please our partner, it's only going to add to the stress. And it only layers on more and more. And that's why a practice of your own to find any little bit of pleasure, the truth is most of us have a much higher tolerance for discomfort than we do for pleasure. Yeah. You know, that all the years sitting in strict rigid postures and on a meditation cushion, but I did it. But then to invite myself into a practice that felt luscious, that felt delicious, that felt like pleasure... I was amazed to see how much of my own resistance showed up at something that theoretically felt good and was not as structured or strict or rigid because we're not taught like a capacity. So you can actually increase your capacity for pleasure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what would feel good, we don't know. We don't even have a clue. And so starting so small. And that
0: resistance can show up. In so many different ways, can't it? So yes. Absolutely. Like, just just throw us some examples of what. Like, I know for me, I don't have time for this, and then I look right. at my day and think, actually, I do. I can go in for half
1: an hour. Right. I don't have time for this. I should be doing something more productive. That's a really important one. This is unproductive. Ugh, Assign- productivity. <laughs> that's right. Assi- that I actually, my productivity brain was so hard to get around. I just assigned myself like this is a job like any other.
0: Yes. Yes, no, yes. It's
1: and I get like just as many brownie points for this as doing the dishes. In fact, I flip the priorities. If I do a self pleasure practice, that's more valuable than doing the dishes. Imagine shifting those priorities. It's a game changer. You know. And
0: um, it's just so amazing. I mean, apart from rediscovering pleasure and. Feeling the sensations of pleasure in your body which is incredibly healing for your body it creates all of this life force energy you know you're nourishing yourselves it's amazing I can tell with my clients when they've sort of gotten into a good rhythm because they look fantastic
1: yeah that's right that's right absolutely that is there again is that you know, paradox of nourishing ourselves, allowing ourselves that, and then that attractiveness that I was so worried about losing, suddenly I have a glow. Yes. I, I, I love to tell this story, but when I was at the height of our practice, when we were doing our studies, and it, our studies were many, many hours a week of these practices, and I was really feeling this ability to expand my my energy and, you know, I was dressed in like a winter coat crossing the street in Brooklyn, but I just was exuding this energy, and I stopped traffic in both directions. Two yeah. men and two cars coming from different directions just slowed down and stared at me, and it was not because I looked conventionally like whatever just because that energy is so attractive and it's I've never so- been able to recreate that, but it was the best moment
0: <laughs> because it, it truly comes from within. It truly it comes does. from It does. That, actually, that reminds me, um, we were in Paris for holidays a little bit after that. And I was just walking down the street, feeling, I was probably still a bit jet lagged, I think, but I'm walking along and this guy was like staring at me and I thought, <laughs> and my youngest son said to my husband oh that guy's a bit creepy He can't stop staring at mom and <laughs> he said it's because mom's so gorgeous and luscious and I just laughed and, and I said was that was a bit weird he goes no it's because you're like luminous I'm like really he's like oh totally and we laughed and kept walking
1: amazing right the where, it's the same thing it's the same thing and that's where the ability to create that not only feels good but truly is attractive and how beautiful when you know when obviously done respectfully to receive that attention from the masculine is mm-hmm. is such a lovely gift right it's such a lovely gift of the masculine and to know that that you know I certainly had many years walking the streets where I received many un, un unlovely unwanted compliments or comments they weren't compliments right but to know that you know here in midlife that that vibrancy and that glow can be as much as ever. I, I never would have dreamed it. And I'm loving it. I'm loving midlife for that reason. And the chance to explore what's true for me and what's delicious for me. And what do I want? If I could have whatever I wanted, what would it be? And to begin a- asking ourselves those questions without a limit on them it doesn't mean that, you know, if we don't think we can have it, it does it's not a reason not to imagine it because opening that door to imagining it will allow us possibilities we couldn't have thought of otherwise. Mm -hmm. And That is so much of what you're describing about what midlife is, is opening up to possibilities that life with family, with young children doesn't afford us in the same way. And so if we reinvent ourselves in the same mold, it's so limiting. And so to really open our minds to possibilities that seem impractical, seem outlandish, they'll allow just dreamings and possibilities that we couldn't have had otherwise and who knows what comes of them
0: yeah you know and then such a big part of this i'm just thinking is you know when you shut down yourself to your sacred pleasure you're sort of shutting down the cultivation of your own life force energy
1: Mm -hmm.
0: do you want to talk about that a little bit like and just explaining right. that, you know, like we have our life force energy is sexual energy, but we have our sexual nature. So when we're ignoring that, we're sort of ignoring that sexual aspect of ourselves.
1: Right. It, it really does come back to that sort of channel of energy that runs through us, right? That we're yeah. sitting, we're literally sitting on this, this fountain of energy mm. that that creates, yes, it can be used to create a life when we make a baby, but it can be used for any creative endeavor. And that uh, actually I have, a, you may find this also, I have an uncanny, I, I, my training is in the arts before I had kids. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of creatives. I work with a lot of artists, a lot of authors, a lot of musicians and composers. And they find that their creative output increases dramatically. Yes. Also income, I have people double and you know more than that, their income because the, the flow of life force and opening to that they think, oh, you know, what are you telling me? Like a masturbation practice could increase my income? Well, yes. Yeah, simply because yes. It's just simply yes. <laughs> you know, the amount of people who unblock creatively just by doing simple energy moving exercises with our sexual energy, because this is the home of creativity. Yeah, It is yeah. the home of that Jing Chi. It is the home of life force. And so we cut ourselves off from it. We do start to feel that dead feeling. That's where you know, we start to overeating or over in any way starts to feel easier. And rather than try to have to use, you know, willpower to overcome eating that bag of chips at night to connect instead, I just had a client today talking to me about how self-pleasure has had her completely reduce her dependence on sugar. Mm. because she's, And the way she described it was so beautiful. She said, when it was sugar, the the bandwidth for what could be pleasurable completely ended up as a taste sensation. And so all my focus on pleasure was about this taste of sugar. That's so interesting. Yeah. And when I open to my body to all the five senses of pleasure, and that's a daily practice, all of a sudden this one narrow little thing that held all my pleasure in the day, it's not that important anymore.
0: Yeah that really resonates with me Um, when I was going through my chemotherapy treatment a couple of years ago um, what I decided to do was just practice sensual pleasure every day Mm -hmm. so whether it was like conscious around eating and it was really interesting my body just craved vegetables all the time during my treatment and I wonder if that's because of our training right and just what we've been through anyway music whatever I was very conscious, going for a walk in nature. I was very intentional about it. And then in I would have a week off every third week from my treatment. I would do JD during that week.
1: Oh, wow. What a great idea.
0: Yeah. And just really gentle, like really gentle mm-hmm. practices. Anyway, uh, once my treatment finished, you're pretty exhausted by the end of it and sort of felt like you've been beaten up for a long time. So it takes about six to eight weeks, for your, you know, to your life force energy, essentially your energy to come back in. And when it did, oh my God, I felt amazing, but I was so, my senses, all my five senses, I was so heightened to them. And that was really showing up sexually as well. Like I was experiencing orgasm in this really heightened sensual state. And I was just like, this is like the best drug I've ever had in my life. Like it was, it was incredible. And I think a lot of it is because A, like you say, we'd done so much training around this. B, I was very intentional about using sensual pleasure during my treatment plus my j So by the time I came back in, like my body was
1: like, wow, this feels Mm -hmm. so good. It was incredible. Yeah. It's truly incredible because you kept that neuro talk about neuroplasticity, you kept those neural pathways moving and they didn't yeah. completely shut down, which is remarkable because again in, in what can feel like a very contracting life or death sort of medical yeah. experience to choose life over and over and over.
0: Yeah and that sense of aliveness that I felt when it came back, it was quite phenomenal and Amazing. You know, so if you're listening, like Suzanne and I are talking about you know, sacred sexuality and how it's a practice of life force energy. I mean, that was truly an example of it in its purest sense, I think. Exactly.
1: It, it, truly your your body telling you on every level. I'm alive. I'm alive. And that's what we get to choose at midlife. That choice. Yours was so it is such stark relief. But I think every woman, everyone who experiences menopause has a choice. And some of the teachers that I was around many, many decades ago would talk. I I remember overhearing the old men talking and saying, like, when a woman comes into her power, she never loses it. And I remember thinking, what are they talking about? And it was almost this envious tone, like this awesome experience of knowing what women are like when they come into power in midlife. Mm -hmm. And it always stuck in my mind that there was something amazing about this. We hear that so little, but it is really truly that choice to cultivate that and to embrace that. And and I do think to the field of coaching and to to, uh, midlife coaching, to sexuality training of any kind, I would say if you have any question, right? If you're wondering what's going to happen with you now, find someone who's been there, who's done some of this, because mm. it's so hard to, to do alone. It's so hard to know and to create these ways forward. And there yeah. are people who did it, who showed us, there are people who have gone before us, and there are generations and, and essentially thousands of years of traditions to draw on. Yeah. And now I'm all supported by medical science as well. So there's a deep well out there to find. So that we don't have to be lost and hopeless, which I know before this I really felt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's that you're right. It's that sense of aliveness. It's the power that you feel from that. Yeah. And there's a, but there's a, such a groundedness about it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. That's right. It's, it's, it's because it's right in the body, it's right here at home. We get to live at home in our bodies in a way that, I almost wonder if the constant cycling, right, of reproductive hormones, it always has us, the body really looking outwards with its creative energy. Mm. And there's something about coming home to, I've given now my reproductive energy in whatever way I've chosen to in my childbearing years, and now it returns home. It's a little bit like a homecoming. Yeah,
0: it? it is definitely. Yeah, like Hestia is the goddess of the hearth and she keeps the fires burning. And I think from an archetype perspective, that is the story of the menopause transition is coming home and keeping the fires burning and everything that you've talked about today, like, well, how do you keep the fires burning? It's through this sacred sexuality practice.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a beautiful way. I love Hestia as the model for coming home to the hearth to ourselves and to the internal fire and just like a fire right it has to be stoked and taken care of yeah you just can't expect to never put any fuel on the fire and it to be burning strong and so it is the time to figure out literally what does stoke our internal fires what feeds you is it those walks in nature is it that you know quiet time before everyone else gets up in the morning what are the things
0: yeah yeah, it's, it doesn't have to be just sexual. It can be sensual pleasure as well. And just to, to be really explicit about this, we experience the world through our five senses, right? That's our sensuality. Mm-hmm. So when we practice sensual pleasure, so if, if starting with sexual pleasure feels a bit overwhelming to you, then start with sensual pleasure, right? Because you're building those pathways, those pleasure pathways because we experience our sexual pleasure through our five senses as well and it makes that transition into learning this sexual the cultivation of your sexual energy a lot easier, doesn't
1: it? So much easier. That's why the the five senses practices that we've done where you just choose something for each of the five senses and sit down and experience it can you touch your soft robe and smell your coffee and taste your coffee in the morning? Mm-hmm. Anything that brings consciousness to our five senses will do that. Mm-hmm. And I know for myself, when I have done that, it it does flow both ways, exactly like you described. It increases my sexual experience, but and then also cultivating my sexual experience feeds back into noticing those beautiful sensual moments of life. And that's a life worth living in the body in the most beautiful way. And we're definitely not taught it.
0: Mm. So beautiful. We might finish up there. Such a lovely conversation. How do people find you, Suzanne? Tell us your um, website, Instagram, all that sort of stuff.
1: Okay, well, I can be found at SuzanneNigerian.com. I'm sure if you can't spell Nigerian, it'll be in the yeah. notes. And it's the same with Instagram. That's, the, that's often where I, if I have something to say, I speak out is on Instagram and it's the same thing there. It's Suzanne Nigerian. And uh, you always can reach out. You can always have, uh, if you go to my website, there's actually a free practice you can download that guides you through a very simple, not sexually explicit practice of connecting to your body and your breath. And if you ever have questions, I'm always happy to jump on a call with you. There's a link for that almost everywhere in my Instagram and web page, because as you can tell, I love to talk about this. I'm really passionate about it. It changed my life. And even if you just have some questions you want to ask me, you can always just reach
0: out. So beautiful. It did change your life because I remember when I first saw you in our course and then knowing you now, you're a different woman. It's true it's really true
1: it's a it was an amazing transition we're really lucky to have had it and that's why I think both of us want to share it
0: yeah absolutely
1: thank you it's been a pleasure being here thanks for having me